everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Book Goodies podcast. Today, again, it's kind of for authors by authors, but it's also um, a topic that I think is going to be really interesting to readers as well. I'm Deborah Carney, your host, and I'm joined today by Marlena Glynn Brown and Sean Inman. Hi, guys. How are you? Hi, Deborah. Glad to be Hi, here. Deborah. Nice to see you. Um, so, right uh, first off, I'm going to have Sean and Marlena introduce themselves. Sean, you want to go first? Sure. I'm Sean Inman, and I published my first book, self-published, in 2012, and it was a memoir. And when I published that first book, which is called Feels Like the First Time, I thought, that's probably it for me. I think I got one book in me, and I want to get it out there. And I did, and uh, it was one of those lightning-in-a-bottle scenarios where that memoir just kind of took off and sold and sold and sold, and it encouraged me to continue writing. And so I wrote another memoir after that, and now have been writing fictional stories. And my first fictional novel came out here just a couple of weeks ago called Rock and Roll Heaven. Uh, and I've got two more uh, fiction novels planned for the rest of the year. It's funny how that happens, right? <laughs> it is. A little encouragement, and all of a sudden you become a writer, you know? There you go. And Marlena? <laughs> you know, that's funny, Sean. We've been chatting for a long time, and I didn't know our history was so familiar because, like you, I self published my first memoir, Overlay, a tale of one girl's life in 1970s Las Vegas thinking it's a, a book about my childhood, and I'll write it, and I'll put it out there, and it'll be the only one. But like you, it did so well that it kept selling and selling, and it turned into a request for more. So I wrote six more memoirs after that one, <laughs> and then two instructional books, because I started hearing from a lot of people who wanted to know how to tell their story as well. So that's become a big interest in mine is um, helping consult others and offer advice about how to go about getting your story out to the masses. And, you know, for most of us, it's going to end up being self-publishing. That's really- I sure think so, yes. Yeah, and you know what? Self-publishing, um, we might as well tackle that right off the bat. Um, you know, trying to get a memoir traditionally published, you probably have to be like, you know, Jay Leno. Yeah, famous. (laughs) You know, you've got to be famous and you have to have a huge following where um, I think that a lot of the memoirs now are independently published. And that's great because it's people sharing their stories and nobody is vetting them and telling them how they have to tell their story. Yes. That, that's definitely true. And, of course, when you're self-published, you're responsible for your own quality, uh, which is sometimes good and sometimes bad. Mm-hmm. But for me, the only thing standing between me and putting my story out there was my editor that I hired to work with me. And knowing that gave me a great deal of freedom to really focus in and just tell the story I wanted to tell. Whereas if I had tried to go with a traditional publishing house, my friends who have done that, I hear all the stories of the way that they're their life basically their life story is molded and oh we don't want so much of that and can't you tell us some more of this and and that sort of thing that's why i feel so happy to be uh self-published as opposed to traditionally yes i think that with self-publishing we can retain the authenticity of our experiences that might be lost when you're being vetted by 
a professional, like as you said, saying more of this and less of this. And it, I think it just takes away from the story and the reality of how you remember it, which is what a memoir is. So before we get too far, I want to, and that's all really great stuff. Before we get too far, I want to, um, let's, let's define the genres for people who, um, I'm getting a lot of even authors that are confused about how to classify their books. So, um, Sean, why don't you start us out and tell us what your definition, what are the differences between a memoir and autobiography and a biography? Well, and, and I'm going to be interested to see how much, because Marlena and I haven't talked about this, so I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how much uh, uh, overlap we have on our definitions. To me, a memoir is a, a story where you focus in on a single aspect of your life, and it it really can be any aspect of your life in, in a memoir. And in, I think Marlena said her the subtitle of her book says it all, that it's the story of a, of a young girl trying to survive a difficult circumstances in uh, 1970s Las Vegas. For me, I, I focused in on a love story, a single love story that started in the 70s and lied dormant for 30 years and then picked up mm-hmm. again in, in 2009. Um, and, and so... To me, a, a memoir gives you the freedom to pick one thing and really tell it well. Uh, whereas, to me, a, an autobiography tries to say, okay, well, I, I was born here and I went to elementary school here and then my high school years were this. And, and that's why autobiographies can sometimes come in volumes. You know, you've got volume one, the early years, and volume two, my early career. And oh my gosh, it, it, it tries to be so much more comprehensive to me. Um, and then, of course, a biography is somebody standing on the outside looking at your life and, and choosing how they want to represent it. So, Marlena, how does that fit with what you think? Not surprisingly, I'm in complete agreement because I think of an autobiography as being a factual account of a life which is chronologically arranged, starts at the beginning and ends at the end. They're historical, factual, and date-specific. Memoirs, however, I mean the word memoir comes from the French word for memory, so it's it's really a personal account of how you remember something and it's told from a life and like you said Sean it's it could be just a part whereas the autobiography would feel inclined to pull in the entire life but yes yours is about a love story mine is about a childhood and it it brings up another point when people take um umbrage at is is everything in the memoir exactly true yes and i find that very interesting because in my books they are written as i remember them so they are true to me yep. and i i find that so interesting that people will take issue with well how could you remember that well i just do it's how i remember it I think that's probably the most common question I get asked is how I can't remember where I was last Tuesday. How do you remember (laughs) where you were on this exact date in 1977? And my answer is that's why I write memoirs because I can. If I couldn't remember that, I would be writing something else. So songs. (laughs) Songs. There you go. Um, And there's another reason why I bring this up. And uh, maybe you guys can each chime in on this. So like a biography is uh, written from the outside looking in. However, I have people that are submitting memoirs to our our website that's, you know, book goodies that is um, 
you have to classify the genre of your book. And they're submitting books as a memoir because they're doing a, they're really doing a biography, but it's of a grandparent or, (coughs) pardon me, or some other family member. Um, Is that... That's that's a biography. To me, that's a biography. Although, I I guess what you're coming into contact with there, and I'll be interested to hear what Marlene has to think about this, is to me, if you're telling it, uh, um, to me, a memoir is a a personal thing from within my own cranium. But there's also the issue of scope. And if you are writing something for... it, it's it's challenging, but if I'm trying to write just in within the scope of a memoir, so let's say I'm sitting down with my grandparent and I'm wanting to cover just a summer in 1945 and exactly what happened because that was a pivotal moment in their life. Well, that's the scope of a memoir, but I am coming at it from the outside. So in order to present that to me, in order to present that truly as a memoir, it would almost have to be me approaching it as a ghost writer. So there's to me there's those three perspectives that you can approach it. If I'm writing my own story from with my own memories, then I'm a, a, a memoirist. If I'm writing somebody else's story from their perspective, then I'm a biographer. And if I'm trying to write someone else's story from their perspective, but I'm doing the writing, then I feel like I'm a ghostwriter. And essentially, I was a ghostwriter on my own second book. Yeah, we'll uh, because, get into that in a minute. <laughs> sure, okay. And, and so, uh, to me, those are the different uh, kind of areas. What do, you, what do you think, Marlena? I would agree, and I would probably do something clever in the title, such as, well, actually, I have a, a perfect example. My latest memoir is an accounting of my 16-year-old son and I taking my father's ashes around the world. My son, my father, and me each have perspectives that weigh into the memoir. Now, since my father had passed, he wasn't actually writing these chapters. It was how I you know, imagined he would write them. So I entitled it, uh, Rest in Places, my father's post-life journey around the world, which I think makes it clear he didn't actually write it, but it is coming from his perspective about some of the things that happened in his life. So I would use the title to differentiate the fact that it's a memoir as told to or as told by a different person. That's a really great point. Um, And Marlena, yours is still a memoir because it's you and your journey and you're just including things about yes. another person. So yes. I think that might be the big difference is that if you're um, writing it from your own perspective in your own life, then it's memoir. But if you are like taking uh, a grandparent's diary or something and you're uh, repurposing it and rewriting it, that's actually a biography. I believe that's the case, yes. Okay. Yes. And like I said, I would use the title to cleverly differentiate what the story was and who was telling it and about who. You do really well with your subtitles, Marlene. I congratulate you on that. 
thank you. That's just such an honor. Well, you're you're just really smart with the way. I mean, we have such limited ways that we can tell readers about what they're going to experience before they dive into it. We've got our cover, we've got our blurb, and maybe we've got our subtitle. And I I just am always jealous because you use your subtitle so much smarter than I do. So <laughs> thank you. I wouldn't agree it's any smarter, but it's, it's different. <laughs> So now I want to talk about the differences between the two of you because you both are, you've both written memoirs. Sean, you're going on to write fiction now, but you did write two, and I'm going to let you go first because you already brought it up a little bit. Okay. Your second memoir is told from a completely different perspective than your first memoir, so why don't you go ahead and explain that and how you, uh, how you came up with that and how you managed it. Sure. Well, it was it was quite a process, honestly. So my my first memoir, I started writing before the story was finished. I had no idea how the story was going to turn out, but it was the story of meeting and falling in love with the girl next door, uh, starting in 1976, and we were forcibly parted by her parents in 1979, who just didn't like the cut of my jib and told me to get the heck out of town and. <laughs> Be in the 70s, I don't know what would happen in 2014, but be in the 70s when kids still had a tendency to listen to their folks a little more, I left. And we didn't see each other then uh, for almost 30 years. And when I st- started writing that story, I, I wrote the story of what had happened to she and I back in the 70s not ever knowing if I was ever going to see her again because I hadn't seen her in 27 or 28 years at that time. And it wasn't until two years later that I found the answer when I published little portions of that uh, that memoir online and th- those little portions of that memoir actually somehow miraculously made their way to her after we hadn't talked in almost three decades and she found out uh, all those years later how I still felt about her and and brought the end of the story about and that was the the first story but what I kept finding I to- I chose to tell that story in the first person to me um, a memoir needs to be in the first person it needs to be I went here and I did this and I saw this uh, as opposed to in fiction how we often tell stories in the in the third person and because I chose that vehicle to tell that first story by the nature of it, there were things that I couldn't say about her and her perspective because I could only say the things that I had seen or that I actually knew to be the case. And because of that, to me, there were kind of some holes in the story. And I, as soon as I published it, I started getting emails from people that go, oh, we, we love the story, but gosh, what was going on in her mind while all this was happening? And what happened to her in those 27 years that you guys were apart? And so I knew I needed to tell her story in order to really make the the whole thing complete. And I'm a big science fiction fan. And right about that time, I was reading uh, a series of books by Orson Scott Card uh, called – the first one is Ender's Game. And the second one is called Ender's Shadow. And in Ender's Shadow, he just retells the events of what happened in Ender's Game, but told from a completely different perspective of a different character. And as I was reading that book, I thought, oh my gosh, this looks like an entirely different story when you look at it through this person's eyes as opposed to that. And that's when the the moment of clarity hit me, that's exactly what I need to do. And so I set out writing exactly the same story that I wrote in the first book, but writing it from her perspective my wife's perspective instead of my own. And I'll tell you that writing 
first of all, if you if you ever are a couple who would need to go to therapy and you can't afford it, just try writing a seventy thousand word book in your spouse's voice because you start to see things like they see things. Then, if you you know, it, I know Don can never look at me and say you just don't understand what I'm thinking because she knows I do because I wrote I literally wrote her life story there. That's all. Oh. That's pretty interesting. And then, Marlena, you um, you started out with your one book, and then you you've written several more, and you classify yourself as a memoirist. Can you explain that a little bit? Uh, explain what exactly the classification? How the classification and how you went down that path to sudden, you know, to to uh, to continue to write more memoirs. Well. It, it was actually interesting. Like I was saying earlier, I thought Overlay would be a one-off. And it ends uh, when I'm 17 and I've escaped Las Vegas and I'm on my way to Los Angeles. And I ended it because um, it was a good place to end. And I really didn't plan on writing anymore, but I started receiving emails saying, well, like Sean did, well, what happened? <laughs> so I thought, well, okay, I'll write the second one. Realized there was a lot of craziness going on in, in the second part as well. And then I got to um, the point where my my husband left me with kids aged 5, 4, 3, and 1. And I thought, well, this is a good place to end this because this will certainly be another shift. Mm-hmm. And of course, it invited the third book as, oh, my gosh, single with four kids. When, when you had such a terrible upbringing, how did you survive that? So that became a whole other book and and but at that point I was just addicted I'm like oh I have so many stories I could just go and go and I'm always writing little snippets down and thinking about where I can throw them into another book because I have written about everything going on in my life up to about two months ago <laughs> it's all out there now Now you got to go live some more so you got more stuff to write about right oh I had the same thought <laughs> But Marlena, can I ask? I, I think you're you're also planning on eventually writing some fiction, aren't you? You know, I try, but I I think my writing I have the most skill writing first person present tense, and when I try to make something up that I I'm actually not recalling, it's um, a lot of work, and I've developed. <laughs> immense respect for people who create entire stories in their imagination because having tried to do it, I understand what an enormous gift it is to be able to do so. Well, and there's another, um, there's another genre that you might be able to explore, but since you like writing first person, it may not work, but there is creative nonfiction, which is, um, well, maybe that doesn't quite right. Uh, the way I was defining creative nonfiction was you take real life and you kind of turn it into fiction. So I might, yeah. You put a, a light fictional cover over actual historic events, things like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. something like that. So yeah. I guess mine would, uh, yeah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea, though. I'm, I'll be interested to check it out and see what it is. Yeah, look into creative nonfiction. It isn't quite the definition that I had, and it just kind of blew my mind because I had it all set up differently in my head until I went to explain it. And I'm like, no, that's not right. So, but 
you know, you can take um, you can take real life and you can be more creative with it, which actually we can talk about in a minute because memoir is a little bit of creative nonfiction um, in that uh, Marlena, like you said, you're you're taking real memories and you're you're writing your story as you remember it. Is there but you're a little bit creative as you're as you're writing it so that people can relate to it. Yes, and recording conversation is a perfect example of that because I think we could probably agree remembering a conversation for twenty or thirty from twenty or thirty years ago, we're probably not going to have total recall, but we'll have an idea of what was said. So I think that is a great example of how um, the storytellers that we are, we are able to use our talent to craft this memory into something that's complete, that someone can feel like they were there listening to that conversation. And Marlene, it's so funny you mentioned that because when I, I wrote my first draft of my first book, I sent it on to my editor and he, he sent it back to me with a note, among other things, that said, <laughs> why is there no dialogue in this story. And I said, well, come on. It was, it was 35 years ago. I can't be expected to remember exactly what somebody said 35 years ago. And of course he clued me into the, to the fact of you, you need the gist of it. You don't need word for word. You just need to accomplish what was meant and what was accomplished within the framework of the conversation. And that freed me up. So I, I get emails pretty regularly from people who kind of do the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Come on, I know you can't really remember what happened 30 years ago. And what I always tell them is, what I'll tell you is the dates and the events, those things happened exactly like I tell it in the book. You're right, the conversations I can't remember 100%, but I'll tell you that the, we both came away from that conversation with the same impact as what I relayed in there. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think so many people have a tendency to think that memoirists just fill in the blanks where necessary. And I know when I was writing my first one, I, I said in, in two different places now, if I was writing a fiction story, I would have this happen here. But this was not a fiction story. This was my poor, pathetic life. And so here's what actually <laughs> happened there instead. <laughs> well, yes, and people seem to love your poor, pathetic life. So I don't think it was that pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it felt, felt pathetic to me at the time. I think people like it because they read and think, oh, I'm not the only one that totally screwed things up in my life. Look at that guy. He did it. and He's writing a book about it. So. <laughs> There's hope for us all. Yeah. And he still got the girl. He, look what an idiot that guy is. And he still got the girl in the end. There's hope for us all. <laughs> well, and wouldn't you say that's kind of what memoir is all about? Is sharing your life so that other people can relate to it and realize that they're not all that different from, you know, like that there are other people out there that are that are like them and that they can come through at the end. A lot of memoir seems to be in the end inspirational. I think so and and I know Marlena will almost certainly confirm this when when I sat down to write my memoir I I looked back over it as a story and I realized you know there are some places in this story where I don't come out looking very good. In fact, I look pretty bad. <laughs> and so how honest am I going to be here? I see some people who write memoirs, and, and to me, they I, I, I think of them as like plastic memoirs cause, or Teflon because I, I can't find a way to get attached to them where they're almost like 
PR pieces about look how cool my life was, and I, and I decided to not go that way. I definitely went for awards and all. These are the ways. These are the mistakes I made, and these are the places I had to learn different things. And I. Th- I really think that among everything else, it certainly wasn't my writing skill on the first book because I was still learning how to tell a story then, but it was that absolute degree of honesty that people said, okay, well, if he told us that, I'm pretty sure he told us everything. Um, and I'll, Marlena, did you kind of have that same just little talk with yourself about how honest and revealing and forthcoming you needed to be? I did, and there are... Um you know, my memoir is about a very difficult childhood spent uh, amongst alcoholic parents and all the, the mayhem that comes along with such an upbringing. But there were two events that happened to me when I was, oh, three events that happened to me uh, when I was 17. And one I had never told anyone before, and it makes my father look very bad. Another one Uh, very few people knew about, and it made me look very bad. And another one I just didn't have the heart to include because my first three readers that went through the book said, this is just way too heavy. Like, no one is going to want to deal with this dark material. So I went through and lightened it up a bit. I actually had to force myself to add some funny little things, Mm -hmm. such as... um, I wrote that one of my stepfathers taught me to cook because I had to have something light in there, and that actually wasn't true. But if if you were to read about him being such a a awful guy to the core, it it might be too much. So I I kind of lightened his character up a bit. But yes, it's to your question. I feel the same way, and I I also feel that sharing stories like this, um, in my case, I really want to to get to the point where I have a platform where I can reach children who will have access to this book and realize, you know, just, hey, hang in there. Things do get better when you become an adult and you're on your own, if you so wish it. That And now let's segue into, um, now that we're talking about how honest you need to be, how did you decide whether to name real names? Did you change names? Did you... Uh, do you combine people into a character? Um, how do you how do you deal with that type of thing? Um, so I that know. if other people reading the book would find themselves in the book and be upset. I know other writers do that, and they they fictionalize and they change names and they combine characters. And I did not do any of that stuff. I I wrote it initially just. This is what happened, and and I because I really wanted to just get the story down, and then I kind of looked at the legal aspect of things, and what I found in my research was that the truth is a pretty good shield to stand behind, and so I just made sure. First of all, I didn't have any axe to grind against anybody other than maybe myself, uh, and so the the person <laughs> I think that comes off looking the worst in the book is probably me, um, but other other than that, you know, I, I there. If there was anything I had to say about somebody else that turned out to be negative or could be thought of as negative, I just made absolutely 100% sure that there was public record that I could walk you over and go, and there's why I said that. Uh, so if I said okay. somebody was in, somebody went to prison or something like that, it's because they went to prison. And um, and I, I didn't go out of my way to, to harm anybody, certainly. Um, but I also, I mean, 
life is kind of messy usually, especially if you look over the course of a lifetime. And the other thing that I found is that uh, my I grew up in a very small town in rural Washington State, and what I found was that I still knew a lot of the people that were in that book. And so I was able to call them ahead of time and say, do you want to read the part where you're in the book? I'm not saying I'm going to change it, but I just want to give you a heads up that you're in there. (laughs) And often they would read it and go, yeah, I can't argue with any of that. That stuff all happened. And I go, good, here we go. And and off we went. So, Marlena? Um, That's very interesting. Yours is is a different situation, so – Yes. See, in my first book, there there are real criminals and there are some very sad victims, some children. So I did change the names and I retained the first uh, letter of the real name. But I had a very interesting thing happen. There, There's one girl that I knew when I was about 10 who had was being victimized. And her, I obviously don't use her real name in the story. But um, a reader wrote into me and said, you know, this girl's experience really touched me. Do you know whatever happened to her? And I said, no, I've tried to Google her name and I can't find her. And this reader offered to search and I was actually able to find her and her brother living back east and said, you know, they've they've led awful lives. They both have police records and I, I kind of got real nervous at that point because I thought, oh, I, I just blew this this woman's identity mm-hmm. and perhaps I shouldn't have done that because I did my best to hide what happened to her as a child and then I ended up telling a total stranger her real name. Now, of course, I was there and I saw it firsthand, but it comes down to it's my memory of what I saw. I don't have anyone to back me up and... Um, I a lot of the the criminals have passed, and I, I did check the Social Security index to find records of their death. But on another point, like Sean, when I was writing my second book, I dated uh, a boy for I don't know five or six years, and his family was a big part of my life. And when I sent him the part of the book to say, you know, I'm working on a second book, and this is how I'm portraying your family, and believe me, it was very positive. He freaked out and said, how dare you expose us and make us famous? We don't want any of that. I said, okay, okay, okay. That's why I asked first. So I had to take out a big chunk of the book and any reference to his family. And uh, one of the reviewers said, I just can't shake the feeling that something's missing from the story because it's kind of clunky. Mm-hmm. And it was because of that. But boy, I... I was certainly going to respect his wishes. And there is no mention of them in that story. Well, and again, it's your story to tell. And if someone, if it upsets someone that much, leaving it out, I think is appropriate because right. it would, it would come back to you as a person and you need to decide, you know, do you want that? Um, do you want people coming back to you like that? Um, mm-hmm. Because that would bring back a negative energy that you, you don't really want. No, definitely not. It's just the respectful thing to do in some cases, I think. But in my first book, these were just real awful people. And these stories needed to be told because mm-hmm. I want people to know what goes on in some households. And that's just the way I wanted to tell that story. It was, it's pretty real. 
Well, and you you apparently did it right because it reached people. I haven't read either of your books yet, and I'm going to, uh, uh, like I said in the podcast I did, a, uh, the last couple podcasts, I've had a concussion for several months, and I haven't been able to read yet, and I'm really uh, waiting for my brain to, to let me be able to read both of your stories again because, uh, you know, I, I can tell how you are, and I I know that you've got to be great storytellers. <laughs> <laughs> and I love a good story. And um, Marlena, you bring up an interesting point about running things by people first. Um, I'm going to bring up a, a relatively famous person's memoir, um, uh, Sammy Hagar. And he actually uh, amended his book. Um, he didn't change anything in the book, but he added a chapter and republished it with an extra chapter because he didn't run it by people. And there were people, whether they were positively or negatively um, portrayed in his book, that contacted him and didn't like the way they, <laughs> they were portrayed. So he wrote a, a, an extra chapter to explain why he did what he did. And again, I haven't been able to read that yet, um, but I thought that was an interesting way to handle it as well. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, now, both of you write under your own name. Uh, can you see, I, I also, I've, I've interviewed a lot of uh, memoir authors in the past, and uh, several of them used a pen name to uh, protect themselves and to protect other people because, Marlena, like you, some of them uh, witnessed criminal acts and they didn't want to uh, be the whistleblower, and they didn't want to get in trouble with those people who still might be around. <laughs> mm -hmm. So at what point do you think that it might be important to use a pen name? Well, I, I, I have some idea about that. Now, luckily, my story in the end ultimately was pretty lighthearted, and uh, you know, it was very personal. So for me, there was no reason to really, other than just wanting privacy, which to me, if you're writing a memoir, maybe you're not all that private a person. I'm not a private person. I, I have my friends who are like super detectives on the internet that say, oh my gosh, look at all this stuff I can find out about you on the internet, <laughs> to which I say, and I don't care. But but I, I, I do get in many situations why it would be wiser to to write with a with a pen name you know if I'm writing about being a wise guy or anything where there's anything you know that might ultimately involve the witness protection program then <laughs> it, it sure makes sense to do that but looking at it from a practical standpoint it's hard how many books get published on Amazon every day it's something like 3,000 new books are published on Amazon every day it's hard to establish a name as a writer that that has any kind of a, a platform to it so to me the idea if I'm creating a pen name that's going to be my writing name from then on because the idea of trying to keep two or three or four pen names and different names and my real name all in the air and all building platforms for all of them oh my gosh that seems like a lot of work so i can see the reasons why you might want to choose a pen name but if i did i think i would just say and now that's going to be my writing name i'm whoever that is from from now on mm -hmm. um i i actually have a different opinion about this one and it's because I have four children that are between the ages of 16 and 21 now. Now, while in my earlier books I left out personal information about them, as they've gotten older and my, my writing has changed to 
uh, addressing the struggles of a parent dealing with teenagers and such, I worry that what I have put out there could come back to bite them. Uh, for instance, one of my children is interested in running for presidency one day, and this is the truth. I worry that I have just laid it all out there that they could go right back and say, but look what your mother has done. <laughs> I'm concerned about that because it is my real name and it's obviously traceable straight back to this child who yeah. is actually an adult now. But that's one concern is um, what you put out, how it could hurt others in your family. I'd, I'd give a lot of thought to that for new memoirists, considering the, the brevity of their stories. That's and that's a great point. And I, I think when I was writing mine, all my kids were basically often reading along as I was writing it, and I don't think they ever thought anybody other than maybe me and three other people would ever read it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think they ever knew it's going to end up on 150,000 different people's Kindles and that their lives exactly. are going to be out there. But my gosh, that can sure happen to us. So yes. it, it's something to take into consideration for sure. Yes. And I think that um, as technology grows and we live in such a fishbowl now anyway, that I can see your concern, Marlena. But you know what? <laughs> By the time he's old enough to run for president, there are going to be like everybody's family is going to be under so much scrutiny that, you know, they might applaud you for your honesty. Yeah. Instead of having to go out and, you know, journalists now can go out and dig up dirt on anybody and you already put everything out there. <laughs> <laughs> no yes. digging required. Yet. No digging required. Everything is like upfront and, you know, is fine. Um, but yes, there, I think there are really, um, really important important names, reasons to use a pen name. The one thing that I come up with that, um, that I struggle with, I actually have considered writing memoir under a pen name to, um, to protect certain people in my past and to not piss people off and, you know, whatever. Um, cause I would be brutally honest. And one of the things that I've, um, thought about is that, what do you do when you do book signings? You know, oops, ah. your cover's blown. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Hello. In person, your face. Exactly. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, there it is. So um, to me, if you write under a pen name and you're going to do your memoir under a pen name, you have to realize that you need to keep up that persona and that you cannot put your picture on anything and you can't, you know, turn up in person at events, you know, representing yourself if, if the purpose for your pen name is to hide your identity. And I know a, a writer who actually went to fairly extreme lengths in order to create a new identity, basically picking a, another person's photo and saying this is who they are as an author and ultimately that all came unraveled and it was discovered that none of it was true and I think that that can really hurt your credibility. I mean, it might get you a little burst of, of publicity but I think also ultimately it can really hurt you as far as your credibility with the readers. And basically really when you write a memoir you're inviting people into your life you know whether yep. you're and and if you lose credibility your book is done i think so too yeah right. a word of mouth is so important among the readers 
I think that's really what sold both our books for the most part. Don't you don't you think so, Marlena? Is absolutely people saying, "Look at this 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 story that I found," and obviously our two different stories are 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 very different. But uh, but what I think they have in common is that they seem to touch people, and when people are touched. You know, if you read a new thriller and you close the book, you go, gosh, that was really good. But you're probably not as likely to – next time you're sitting down having coffee to somebody, say, oh, my gosh, I read this great thriller. But if you read somebody's memoir that really impacts you in a very human way, you are more likely probably to say, I read this story and, it, boy, it has – I'm sure the people you hear from and I know the people that I hear from are the people whose stories we really resonate with. So – I often hear from people, oh, I, I lost my boyfriend or my girlfriend 30 years ago, and now we've reconnected and we're so happy, or we we reconnected and I found out why I left him 30 years ago, or whatever <laughs> the case may be, But and I'm sure it, it's the same with you. Memoirs are so personal that that's why I think for for anybody, word of mouth is important, but for memoirists, I think it's it's just critical. Yes, because in both of our cases, as well as many other memoirists, we're discussing the human condition. In your case, it's love and loss, and mine is alcoholism and such. But there, there's people out there who want to know, hey, I wasn't alone. Yes. This person went through what I went through, and look, they put it in a book. And if it's out in a book, it must be okay, and I can make peace with it now myself. Yes. Well, and I think that's really important that, and like I mentioned before, that a lot of memoirs end up being inspirational, even if they're really horrible stories about someone's life um, being abused or, you know, victimized or, you know, whatever, realizing that that person lived through it and can write about it makes you feel like, you know, no matter how bad your life is, that you can pull through too. Right. It's true. Um, now, Sean, you mentioned this a little bit, and I know, Marlena, you thought about it, like um, a couple of things that a memoirist needs to worry about is, you know, worrying about hurting people's feelings, and it seems both of you like address that by having people be clued in, um, and worrying about being sued. Now, Sean, you said pretty much as long as you tell the truth, you're okay, well, and I, I, let me point out, I am a real estate broker in my real life job. I am not an attorney. <laughs> Nothing I say in these podcasts, please, can be construed as legal advice. Um, <laughs> that's my little disclaimer for the day. Mm -hmm. However, that was my approach to things: is as long as I'm as long as I'm truthful, and I guess my my codicil to that is as long as I'm truthful. And I can prove that I was truthful, and that did enter my brain a time or two. There might have been things that I, I would have told otherwise that I chose not to tell because even though I knew it to be the case, I didn't have any ability to, to show it. Uh, you know, I couldn't take you to a public record or have other witnesses or things like that, and so occasionally. And Marlena, tell me if this isn't the case. There were some things in my memoir that I left out because they were too fantastic, because the coincidences were too great, so that if you had read this in a fictional book, you'd go, what is that guy smoking today that he's coming up with these weird twists? And I actually left things out like that because I thought, nobody will believe it. It's, it's too bizarre, but sometimes life can be actually stranger than the fiction. I don't remember who had the quote, but somebody said the difference between life and fiction is that fiction has to be believable. And... <laughs> 
I'm wondering. I, I ran into that in mine. Do you run into that in yours where you just think, I don't know if anybody will believe this? You know what? I'm a, I have a big interest in the paranormal. So I actually have some of these instances recorded in my books. And I don't know if people believe them or not, but they really happened. So, so there you are. I included mine. But it, <laughs> okay. You know, if you know me in person, this is something I talk about and I'm interested in, and it's all part and parcel of, of who I am. So it had to go in. Well, and, and I admit, I did leave a, a, a fairly extensive dream sequence in mine where I, I dreamed that I walked around inside my own head and, and met a, a small elf version of myself and had a conversation with myself, and I managed to leave that in. So I guess I'm saying I left the fantastic out, but I, maybe I didn't. So <laughs> Just some of it. Just some of it, yeah. And Sean, now that you mentioned dream sequence, I'm going to make a little comment to put in your head. And for those of you who um, may be following our podcasts, uh, Sean's books are available as audiobooks. And I'm writing a book that has dream sequences in it. And I was wondering how you portray those in an audiobook. So don't answer the question, but put it in your head to put in our next podcast about audiobooks. Good question. Okay, I got it. <laughs> Ooh, that is interesting. Yeah, I, I'm sitting here and I'm reading. And I'm like, okay, how do you do that with a voice? So, um, but, and something else that you brought up already, Marlena, but that I want to, um, you know, make sure that people understand is that um, memoir isn't, isn't going to be 100% reality. It's going to be uh, memory and taken from memory and written from your perspective. So there's some creative license, but you still are true to your story uh, in enough to make it uh, believable and you the facts are as you state them. Right. And I guess where I really ran into that was in, in my second book because – Here's the challenge is I'm telling the exact same events, the exact same time frame, but from a different person's perspective. And what I discovered was her memories did not always dovetail perfectly with my memories. So where I say XYZ happened, she might say ABC happened in that same time frame. And she and I sat down and, and, and we had many discussions. Are you crazy? Do you not remember? And back and forth like that. And ultimately we narrowed our disagreements down, but we, we finally found that there were maybe seven, eight places that after 30 years our memories just diverged from each other. And so we had to decide how to handle that within a within the memoir and we ultimately decided a memoir is a person's memory so feels like the first time my first book is my memory and both sides now is hers and so if you compare them they don't always match up because our human memory after 30 years is imperfect well yes and then there's the the famous studies about where um people will and uh, act out certain crimes and then question all the witnesses around to what they saw yes. and get entirely <laughs> different descriptions from every single one yeah. because we're we're each coming from a different place and perspective of how we remember something so it, it's the same when you're writing a book it might be how you remember it but uh, it, it would have been a different story to by someone else, as you've learned, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> and don't you think, Marlena, it comes down to, to core honesty almost? What I can tell people is 
I can't swear that absolutely everything in my book from 30 years ago happened exactly the way I said it. I can't swear that. But what I can swear to you is this is my honest recollection. I did not slant this story to make this person or that person look better or to make me look better or or to make it a better story. This really is the way that I recall it happening. So I think if you have that core commitment to honesty in your storytelling, ultimately that comes through, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. And and to go back to the definition of the word again, memoir means memory. And it's how your memory has processed a set of circumstances. No one can argue with that. Right. It's just the way it is. Well, I think that you guys have all brought up really, have both brought brought up really great points, and I'm hoping that people who read memoir are as excited about listening to this as people who write memoir or who are considering writing memoir. Um, do you guys have any um, last thoughts I, that you would like to share with our? I do because I. I think memoirs are the perfect venue for a writer to write their first book uh, because you've already got your story. You're, as Marlena said, creating worlds and creating all of this, everything that goes on in a story can be challenging. But if you look back over your life, you've already got that story. And, and I give a speech uh, to local civics groups called Every Life is a Story, and I believe that. I believe mm-hmm. everybody's life has a, a story arc, and you've just got to kind of decide – what that story arc is, but saying I'm going to sit down at my computer tonight and I'm going to start writing a book, here's chapter one, that can be so intimidating. And so my advice to people is don't do that, but sit down and ask yourself a question. What what from my life would I like to write about? Maybe I'd like to write about the day I got my first car or the day I got my driver's license and that freedom of pulling out of the family's driveway and heading down the highway with the wind in my hair. Or maybe it's a, a disastrous date that you had once or whatever it is. We all have a million stories in our lives. And my advice is don't sit down to write a book. Just sit down and write a, a little story. And maybe it's a couple of hundred words. Maybe it's 500 or a thousand words. And then you're done. And then the next day, sit down and say, what else would I like to write about from my life? And if you do that, eventually, I think as you read back over what you've written, themes might emerge. And it might be that uh, you're, you're writing as therapy, that you're writing to get things out that happened to you. Or it might be that you're just wanting to get back in touch with a part of your life that you've lost. That's what it was for me. I remembered what it felt like to be young, a teenager, and in love. And that feeling that I'd missed my whole life then, I wanted to recapture that. So I sat down and started writing. I started. I wrote out my first date and, and with my girlfriend and our first kiss. And, and that chapter made it almost whole into the book, but it wasn't for five years because it took me a time to realize what my story was. So I I think you put too much pressure on yourself. If you say, I'm going to write my memoir, that's really hard. But if you say, I've got these little stories I'd like to write, that's easier. And to me, that's the much better way to get started on writing a memoir. I agree, Sean. It's kind of nice to think of a life in terms of a series of vignettes and then recording them and then finding a way to kind of string them together and it creates a memoir and it's also a fantastic way to cut your writing teeth because like you said you have the material to work with Um, you don't have to create the whole new world you just have to work with 
sentence structure, flow, cadence, word choice, and just make sure it's it's a it's a good story because we all do have a story to tell, and it's just learning to be a storyteller. And everybody has a life story, and some people, it's a romance, some it's a tragedy, and some it's a comedy. And most of us have all those elements thrown together. Right. <laughs> Let's hope so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have one more thing I'd like to add, too. It's a piece of advice I always give to new memo- memoirists, and it's never write anything in your memoir that you couldn't read directly to the person you're writing it about. Ooh, that's I great. like that. Yeah, that's really yes. good. Because we don't want to publicly grind our axes That's unless right. we're against ourselves. <laughs> right. <laughs> against people. It, it's just not kind and it's not respectful. And another interesting point that I want to bring up is that um, neither of you worked from a journal? No. Oh, I did. Okay. Lucky girl. Yes, I actually was able to um, lift entire passages and it... it ended up being wonderful because I could find my 15-year-old voice about how I really felt about a particular thing happening because I'd written it down. And I didn't touch these um, diary pieces at all. I um, I put them in italics to kind of separate them from sure, yeah. me as the storyteller versus, hey, I really wrote this in 1979. Yeah. That's really cool and really interesting to know because I, I kept journals and, and had um, journals way back when, but they've all been lost through the years. Um, the tragedy. Yeah, yeah, I know. I And I, I looked for them, but um, and then we ended up in a hurricane last year, so anything that I would have kept would have gone anyway. But um, it is interesting but I, to note that you can do it either way. And what? And you can do it even if you don't aren't fortunate enough to have diaries or, or, or journals. There, there are trigger mechanisms out there, and mm-hmm. I always tell people: some people are lucky and they have a photographic memory. I have what I call a phonographic memory because when I hear a song, I, it takes me to that place. I'm very musically inclined, and so when I hear the Manhattans kiss and say goodbye. I remember everything about where I was sitting in that car with her and what the weather was like and, and what the lighting was like and what we talked about. And so I think writers just need to find whatever their own trigger is. It can be a smell. Um, I, I Sometimes I'll, I'll be out. My very first car was a, was a Chevrolet Vega. <laughs> Sad mm. to say, uh, <laughs> but I'll see a Chevrolet Vega occasionally, one that's miraculously still survived, and I'll see one going down the street, and that'll take me back right there. And sometimes it can be just uh, a whiff of perfume or a smell or a song or whatever that just sucks you right back to that time in your life. So for me, it was music, so I made a playlist of those songs on my iPod and listened to them while I was writing those memoirs, and that is what. It was like a time travel machine for me. And you know what, Sean, you mentioned that um, before in one of our discussions. And um, I mentioned before we went online that last night Cat Stevens was on uh, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. And I actually, he was singing some songs and I started having memories from back in that time. And I'm like, oh. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's going to be something I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use. I think we can do a whole podcast on triggers. Um, yes. But I'm glad you brought it up. And... Um, 
Um, Marlena, do you have any other last thoughts you'd like to share with any with our with our listeners? No, I think we've about covered it. Okay. Um, Marlena, why don't you tell us uh, where people can find you on the Internet? Okay, I can be reached um, a number of places, but the best place is my website, MarlenaGlynnBrown.com, and Marlena is spelled M-A-R-L-A-Y-N-A-G-L-Y-N-N-Brown.com. That's awesome. And Sean? Um, I think I, I connect pe- with people more often on my writer Facebook page than anything else, which is just uh, facebook.com forward slash Sean Inman writer. The only tricky part is Inman is I-N-M-O-N. Everybody always wants to say I-N-M-A-N. And then I, I looked the other day and the, the most popular search for me on Amazon is my name, but the second most popular search is my name spelled I-N-M-A-N. So... <laughs> <laughs> So Facebook.com, and then uh, I I do have a blog at SeanInman.com, and those are probably the best ways to get a hold of me. Okay. It's going to be interesting a couple years from now to see how many people are still using Facebook as a a main way to communicate with people. I know, but I love it. I that's how I love being able to interact just on an instantaneous basis with my fans. And I I know Facebook is making it harder and harder and I'm sure something will come along and steal their thunder, but I've got a couple thousand people on there that I communicate yeah. with pretty regularly right now. The only reason I giggle is because um I I've, I've done a podcast for years for affiliate marketing and uh one of our first social media podcasts uh we were talking about you know how to use MySpace, and that um, no, that we'll we'll see where that Facebook thing is going to go, but yeah. we don't think that that's going to go very far. So, <laughs> and I guess I would say, how did the three of us all come to meet each other? Facebook, Facebook. actually, yes. Facebook and the website Book Goodies. So, uh, right. yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Um, that's how that's how I tend to find a lot of my authors now is by people who have contacted me via the the website to submit their books, and then they end up on our Facebook page and uh, or chatting with me via email. So, all right, well. Um, I want to thank all of our listeners for, for listening to us. Um, if you found us on iTunes, make sure you go to bookgoodies.com to be able to find this podcast and, and many others. And I'm sure that we can talk Sean and Marlena into doing a follow-up to this um, since both of them are, are really good at um, not only communicating via their memoirs, but communicating uh, otherwise as far as like how to do things. And uh, I'm, I'm going to twist their arm to get them back. So um, thanks, everybody, ow, ow. for listening. And have a great day.